Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the Work in Progress podcast. Last time we talked a little bit about burnout. Today we're going to be talking about what you can actually do about it. I'm your co-host Min, got my buddy here. Yeah, that's me, Alan. (laughs) All right, let's jump into it. All right. So yeah, like we said last time, we talked a lot about burnout, but we didn't really talk about m- what you could do about it. Yeah, I I went back and re-listened to that episode that is hopefully hitting the air soon here. Um, but I, I wrote down some of the things that caused burnout that we discussed uh, in that episode. Uh, and the, the thoughts that I'm coming to is that you're you're going to have to be uh, an agent of change, TLDR. Um, <laughs> and one of, one of the things I think Min and I can both agree on is is that culture plays a huge, huge part in causing burnout or fixing burnout, uh, for that matter. Yeah, I agree. I think um, one of the themes that hopefully came out um, when you listened to the episode, uh, go check it out if you haven't already, it's that there's a large deal of the environment that you work within that really defines your experience on a day-to-day basis. And that ultimately is what contributes or prevents burnout. And so if your environment is not fulfilling everything that you need out of it, or it's rubbing you the wrong way, then that's, that's going to over time add up no matter what kind of person you are. Right. And you know, it, no, no matter which company you work for, they they might have uh, their their culture set in stone because they've been around for a while, but they've gotten it to a point where it's manageable, right? Like burnout, I think, is inevitable. It's just how do you mitigate it long enough so that you can recover and jump back into it. Um, and I'm I'm hoping in in today's talk uh, we focus a little bit more on what can you do as an individual to help yourself mitigate burnout? Uh, not, not all of it's easy. Uh, I would probably caveat that with none of it is <laughs> because <laughs> like Min said, it's, it's, it's part of your environment that you're working in. Yeah. And if that, that environment doesn't change, then you're, you're going to run into burnout over and over. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's a really big distinction there. It's, when we say that there's things that you can do to address burnout or there's things that you can do to change your environment for that matter, there's there's sort of an unspoken idea there that you're not you're not always going to be able to change everything, you know? And you're also not going to be the person who wants to change everything all the time because that's incredibly exhausting and it takes a, a great deal of sacrifice, if, if I'm being honest, to, to actually do that for a company, you know? And I think we've all been in either relationships or environments where change just simply takes too long, you know? Like, uh, my, like for, for, for instance, my parents, they're, they're the way they are, and no matter how hard I try, they are very, very unlikely to change at this point, you know? Uh, they still don't really understand what I do with software, and especially now talking about it. <laughs> Right. And you can't, can't just change your parents. Right. <laughs> oh right. man. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, let's, let's jump into it. Uh, some of the, some of the things we talked about last episode, one was being overextended and you know, how that increases your cognitive load over time. That just a complete mental drain um, on you. Uh, we touched upon how meetings can sort of shake you out of the mental model of whatever problem you're solving. Uh, what, what can you do as an individual to sort of minimize the effects of, you know, increased cognitive load being pulled in many different directions yeah. and, you know, how, what are, what are some of the small things that you, you could recommend? Yeah. I mean, part of it is, I think we mentioned it in the episode too. Like you just simply have to not be the person who deals with all of that all the time, you know? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways you can go about that to, to kind of achieve the same effect. But the the bottom line is that some of the things that you deal with and, and have to answer and questions and meetings that you have to be a part of, the simple solution is that you just simp- you just have to not be that person in that spot. So that could mean training up somebody new. That could be... Uh, that could mean changing your process so that you don't necessarily need to have that particular meeting. Maybe you can make the decision via Slack or or whatever your chat uh, tool of choice is. Whatever it is, you have to find a way to sort of remove that situation from from requiring your presence. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know one one of the biggest tools that you have that you can do right now. It's not easy, but you can do is simply say no. If you have a meeting that is scheduled to happen and you don't think that it's beneficial to yourself or your team or it's going to harm whatever you're working on, just decline it. I don't think anyone is going to uh, get on your back about saying no to a meeting, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, um, unless it's really that bad. Uh, But even, even saying no to the meeting clears up that time block for you to either one, recuperate from another meeting. Or, or even just not pull you out of your work because, you know, again, just having to, to rebuild the context in which you were, you were, uh, getting pulled out of takes time. Uh, why not just, you know, not even deal with it. Yeah, exactly. And at the very, very least, sometimes you can prompt a conversation, you know, it might be one of those things like you just don't know how you're going to bring it up with your, your manager or your team or, or something, but hitting no doesn't take, it doesn't engage very mus- uh, very many muscles and you can sort of just start with that and then it might prompt a conversation, right? It might prompt the, the it might open the way to having that talk that's not, that's, that's a little bit uh, easier than, than say coming up to people and actually telling them like, hey, you know, I'm really busy. I don't want to attend this meeting. I don't think there's there's a lot of value in it. It can kind of force that scenario. And and honestly, it might open the door for some of your peers too, right? Mm-hmm. If you're declining the meeting, then maybe someone else sees that and they're like, oh, okay. That kind of opens the door for me to also decline the meeting because like, yeah, I don't find value in it either. Right, right. And and Min, I've, I've heard you say, this before but you live and die by your calendar right yeah <laughs> and you know if if you don't want to be reactive to this uh meeting invites you can uh simply schedule a block of time for you to just yeah. focus on a, whatever you think is more appropriate just 
set yourself as busy for uh, three hour time chunks and no one, hopefully no one <laughs> tries to yeah. double book you on that time slot, but you know, being, being proactive in preventing meetings when you know your best time working is spent in a specific time frame uh, goes a long way. Uh, for me, you know, I spend uh, an hour at the beginning of my day before I even start doing anything, engaging other people. I have a block just to get myself situated, get my coffee, mm -hmm. uh, get breakfast done and just everything just to put myself into the headspace of it's work time, right? Yeah. And I'm scrambling to get something done. I know that hour is clear and it's mine. Yeah. Um, and that, that applies to any time of the day, you know, the other half I spend an hour, I put an hour block on my calendar uh, at the end of my day, just to, uh, de-escalate. Yeah. Decompress, <laughs> whatever, wind down. Decompress yeah. from whatever stresses from the day, uh, accumulated. And again, it's, it's a, it's the time of day that I have complete control over and everyone has access to my calendar. They know that that time's taken. Yeah. And I, I do the exact same thing. It's, it's exactly like you say, I really do live and die by my calendar. And so like I, I use tools that like Calendly um, to, for, for people to block off time that they need from me. And it's like, I want to stay open. And so I provide that tool for them to actually get time with me. But at the very same time, if they, if you're not on my calendar, then I can't effectively schedule you in. I can't effectively work uh, with you. And so like, I, I really like the progression that you're you're talking about here. You can always start by saying no if the situation has already happened, but you can sort of think about what you can do proactively blocking out that time so that you don't run into that situation. And there's for as few times as people have I've ever seen people get upset for declining a, a meeting, I've seen even fewer cases of people being upset that like, oh wow, you know, you have no open blocks on your calendar. Like, I, I've, I don't think I've ever, literally ever heard people say that. Like, they're I'm, I'm upset at sure me I've, for that. Pretty sure I've said that to you already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, maybe maybe you're the exception. <laughs> I'm, there's, there's always the exception. There's always like the that, exception. That's me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I, do the ex yeah, I do the exact same thing. Like, I block the first hour of my day, the last hour of my day, and one other one, lunch. Block mm. off lunch. Mm-hmm. That's an important one. Especially if you're in an office setting, block off time for you to go take a walk. Go go get a sandwich somewhere not in your uh, in your building in your office area. I know people aren't necessarily in offices right now, but even more important when you're working at home, schedule some time to go take a walk around your neighborhood. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm I'm going to take it another step here. Um at the, going back to that the phrase be a an agent of change i think it's important to to also start setting standards for what a meeting looks like there have been numerous endless amounts of times where coming out of a meeting i felt like nothing was progressed right we came into a meeting uh, feeling like something needed to be solved we came out with more questions or or no answer whatsoever um, and, you know, part, part of that means being able to tell whoever's organizing the meeting, what, what are your objectives for this meeting? Uh, yeah. what, are, what are the things you're hoping to come out of it? So that way, at the very minimum, we, we tackle those, those points. And having those defined up front tells you all you need to know 
coming into it. You can prepare for it. You can make whatever research you need to do and come into it, tell your piece, speak your piece, and you know, you, you, know you, you did your part, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, no one, no one likes meetings, no one, especially, <laughs> especially if there's nothing productive about them. Right. Uh, and so trying to encourage those around you, not, not just yourself, but the people you work with to define what those meetings look like will also go a long way, right? Because part of it too is make sure whoever's organizing the meeting knows what they're asking for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, as just that as a very simple idea, just holding people accountable for for what outcome they're looking for, I think that can can change a lot of your environment, you know, whether it be meetings or processes or just ideas that people have, if you can challenge them and ask them to clarify for you what their goal is, you can cut out a lot of waste because there's a lot of things. It, it turns out there's a lot of processes and, and things that the workplace just has that we've forgotten the reason why we do them or, or the reason is no longer valid, right? Just because like environments change, people change, companies grow, uh, objectives change, all of that. And so being somebody who is just at the very least willing to ask that question, like, hey, what's the act, what are we actually trying to work towards here? What's the outcome that we're looking for here? You can prompt a lot of that, that change in the environment just by starting there. Mm -hmm. and, and the best part too is once those calendar invites go out and it has the agenda defined, someone might come in and say, oh, I know the answer to that reply all here you go meeting yeah. is not necessary yeah that's exactly it and and i've seen that i've seen that happen quite a bit or or the exact opposite right like oh hey we actually don't have anywhere near enough information to make uh to make a decision here so this meeting is not likely gonna end with what we want right with an outcome mm -hmm. that we want so let's postpone right and you yeah. know what a lot of times postponing is just as good as not having it right right i don't think I have any more thoughts on on that aspect of things. Uh, the other other issue that might come up, I, I think, you know, with meetings, it's it's I feel like more prevalent with the work working from home culture, because you don't have those those water cooler passing conversations. One thing that might be difficult is uh, saying no in person, right? If, if you're walking by coworkers in an office, and they need something from you, you could be off your, your mind could be off, but you're like physically walk, walking around, but your mind could be focused on your problem still. What's, what's something that we could do as, as individuals then in person to be able to just not have to engage in those passing conversations? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think that that's, I think that that's really, really tricky. Um, uh, just honestly, what I'm doing right now, I've got headphones on. Headphones are great visual indicators that you know, you're, you're in the zone with something else. Now I, I get walking around with headphones might not be always possible, but like, if you have them on, it's, it's a visual cue to people that like, Hey, you know, maybe think twice before, before like interrupting or something, you know, mm -hmm. people might be less willing. They're still going to be friendly They'll, They might wave. That's fine. Right. At least they're not like stopping you and to have a conversation, something like that. Right. 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 
I mean, worst case scenario, just keep staring down at your feet. <laughs> I mean, I'm oh. guilty. I'm guilty of doing that on a regular basis. Everywhere I walk, I'm like staring at my feet. That's why I run no, I, into things. I didn't. I didn't see you there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, it's it's, and you know, we might talk about this in another episode, but you know, being work from home too is extremely helpful because there is that level of barrier where someone has to go through some electronic medium to get to you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mo a lot of companies use Slack these days. You could set your notifications to, to do not disturb and you yeah. you can ignore Slack altogether. Yeah. Uh, now, of, of, of course, if you're in a higher level position, uh, that's not advisable in case of fire, but... You know yeah. what's so you know what's interesting about that. I, uh, I I've been talking with a couple of other people who've who've gone on to be like directors of engineering, VPs of engineering, and a common uh, a common feeling that they have towards notifications or or just time in general is that they're actually going in the opposite direction. I'm going to be even more strict about the times during the day that I will answer things like Slack messages, reply to, to you know, D DMs and, and, and other things like that. They go so far down that, uh, down that line to create that expectation that, yeah, you know what, if you, if you send me a Slack message at whatever time during the day outside of those hours, I'm not going to respond to it because they're very, very intentional about the amount of focus that they want to create for themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's it, like, don't be afraid to, to go that route. Like the, the higher echelons of like le uh, company leadership and all of that, they do that. They, in fact, they encourage that, you know, they encourage being more intentional with your time. And part of that means having to cut out the noise. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and you know, funny that we start talking about Slack part of, uh, you know, being overextended and, and the Slack work culture here, uh, you might be part of a million different rooms in Slack, right? <laughs> and it, at any given time, you could be facing tens, twenties, thirties of, of at here notifications or uh, your name mentioned directly. Mm -hmm. It, it can be increasingly stressful if you're one of those folks like me who, if you see the little red notification dot, you have to go look at it. Right? <laughs> um, and I, I think this is where saying no, putting do not disturb on goes a long way. Yeah. Because I, I feel like any, anyone who feels that way, just feeling so stressed out that there's a yeah. notification, right? Think of all the stress you don't deal with when you're not having to worry about that right. red dot. <laughs> yeah. So like there's there's multiple tricks there that you know that you can kind of employ. If if you don't like to toggle around your settings and things like that, um, something that I do is I, I sort of just think about the task that I'm I'm working on right now. So like literally as I'm sitting here talking, uh, recording this podcast, I in the corner of my eye I see the little red dot. I see it. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm choosing to be really present and engrossed in this conversation because I really, you know, I want to do well here and I want to I want to have something valuable for you guys and, and things like that. And so reminding myself of that, that's what gives me the ability to just ignore that dot. Mm -hmm. There's nothing there that that can't wait another hour, hour and a half, you know. Right, right. And, you know, adding into more more tricks and, and uh, little things you could do. If you're working on code, 
put your editor in full screen. Have your doc minimized and just turn everything off, like sounds off, notifications off, whatever. Yeah. You're, you're completely in the zone, right? Uh, take that time, dedicate it to focus work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like like your, your managers uh, in your previous story about how they won't answer anything outside yeah. of specific hours. Um, you know, that, that goes with uh, Zoom calls too. Pay attention. I know it's hard. <laughs> I struggle with it. But, you know, I, I, I restarted the, the habit of taking notes by hand. Um, that, that gives me the ability to, you know, just keep my, my screen, my Zoom screen, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in full screen mode. So that way I'm not, I'm not tempted to just go browse Reddit off, yeah. <laughs> off camera. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think like really what we're kind of getting at is that you have to be really intentional about whatever it is that you're doing. And, and I think to the broader topic of like how to prevent burnout or how to combat burnout, I think you have to be more intentional. You have to really lean into that feeling of being more intentional about how you're spending your time. And, and it sounds like a lot of like, uh, you know, fluffy head talk, but it's really, really important to spend the time to think about that because otherwise you start, you're just going to start feeling drained and you won't know why, right? The first step mm -hmm. to, to actually being able to fix that and address that, you have to know why. And so being intentional is a way of, of working towards that and finding the answer as to like what is actually draining you. Right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take us away from overextension now. I, I feel like we've, we've beaten the horse <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about something that might be a little bit harder and there may not be a problem or a, a solution to this problem. Uh, unreasonable deadlines. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. The, the infamous death March, how, how as an engineer or an engineering manager in your case, how do you minimize the situation? that gets you into a death march. Yeah, I I think that really, really careful expectation setting is key here. And everyone has a role to play with expectation setting. You, as an engineer, you, you, you have to do your own uh, due diligence to be able to say what is realistic, what do you recommend, what do you not recommend. If we go down this course, it, this is the far likelier scenario. You have to be very, very um, transparent about that. And you have to be, honestly, it takes an element of like courage to, to actually mm. stare your team, your boss, and everyone right in the eyes and say, like, that's not going to happen for these reasons. Or if you do push, this is the, realistically what's going, the, the most likely outcome, you know? Mm. So at the very least, you have to have a base level of, of well-understood facts and, and trade-offs. You know, mm -hmm. beyond that, beyond that, as an engineer, you need uh, you need project managers or, or leads who are going to convey that and then let the decisions let the decisions happen based on that. You know, mm -hmm. it's not really a, a question of it's not really a question of like, how how are we going to make all you know, how are we going to deliver all the features perfectly and with minimal cost and on time? It's not a question of how, it's more a question of there's no, there's no way that we're going to get all of it. Let's understand, let's get that understood. Let's all be on the mm -hmm. same page about that. And now choose. 
you can choose what you're going to what we're going to hit it's you can try infamous, to choose all three it's the infamous triangle again yeah you can try <laughs> to choose all three but this is this is the uh the consequence of trying right. to do that right and i think uh you had a word for this alignment yes right? alignment <laughs> setting yeah. alignment between everyone involved that that means someone needs to recognize that everyone not maybe not everyone but key people need to be stakeholders right yeah engineering representative the product representative the sales representative uh if you have a separate testing department the testing uh qa representative like everyone needs to have a voice in in setting these expectations otherwise mm -hmm. uh you might hit something that probably could have been caught by you know qa right right um but then you know the the hard part about this is that especially for startups if if whatever they're trying to get out the door is tied to to paychecks keeping the lights mm -hmm. on it's 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 hard to say no because yeah. you know that saying no is going to affect more than just yourself right but think of it think of this how, how does it affect everyone, including yourself, if you agree to it, if you go right. along with this unreasonable deadline, right? Yeah. It's, it doesn't serve anyone not to be upfront. And I think one thing, especially, you know, if, if you're, you're coming in and everything's still being planned, there's still discussions happening. One thing to do is, you know, do your homework, get, yeah. get, understand what the business ask is, understand what the goals and objectives of this, this deadline is what you're trying to build, identifying the potential roadblocks, potential risks, and just calling it out to say, you know, this is a risk if we're gonna push this deadline. And yes, we can make shortcuts, but here's the long-term risks of that. Yeah. You know, And I think this is one of those things that is also inevitable uh, where the company is gonna make a deal that is gonna be hard to, to execute against. Yeah. Uh, and the company as a whole needs to understand, are we going to eat that, that cost up front or are we going to eat it in the back end when, yeah. when we have to support whatever shortcuts we, we cost, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a key distinction that I, I really want to make front and center. You know, alignment does not mean that everyone agrees this is the best choice. Alignment also doesn't mean that this is the best choice by any means at all. Mm -hmm. Alignment really is the idea that no matter what, we've all looked at the facts and we are choosing to go together on a particular route, you know, mm -hmm. and not and not begrudging anybody about it. Right. Like nobody likes nobody likes the person in a group who who's sitting there like, well, I said we should have went down that route instead. And they're grumbling the entire way. It's like, <laughs> OK, look, you're part of this team. We we had all the data, we we heard all the cases, and then we chose to go down this route, right? There's this there's this other idea that's uh, that's uh, prominent as well. Uh, they call it disagree and commit, right? Mm -hmm. I can disagree on the the basic um, outcome here, I, or I can disagree on the 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 facts that you've presented and the case that you've made, but I'm going to commit to the course of action anyways. You know, and that's mm -hmm. really the key to alignment. Yeah. Um, the other side of that, though, is it's exactly like you said. Uh, you have to you have to do your homework. You have to make your case. 
And this is something that I think, like, engineers, you really can individually get better at this, and you really can take control of it and improve on it yourself. Be a product manager. Pretend that you are a product manager. Be a product manager for the technical concerns that you care about, you know? You... You don't work on things that are half-defined that uh, product managers, you know, don't do their homework on, right? You turn around and you say, like, okay, where did you get this idea? Why, why this feature? Where's the business value there, right? You ask mm-hmm. those questions. Well, when it comes time to represent your technical concerns, make sure that you have the same level of evidence. Make sure that you're going through the same level of rigor that they are, right? Don't just say it's bad because it's tech debt. No one understands what that means. If you re- put your shoes in or, or put yourself in the shoes of a product manager, you sort of have to think about it and present the case as like, okay, this tech debt is bad because it's going to slow us down on every feature we build from here until the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to turn a two-week project into a four-week project for mm-hmm. everything that we work on from here until the end, uh, mm-hmm. the, the end of this product, right? Right. And I, you know, I... I don't mean to cut this topic short, but I think it ties very heavily into the next one uh, of, of feeling empowered to, to make decisions and to essentially own this process, right? Yeah. Uh, just feeling like you're being heard goes a long way towards your your own personal well-being, right? Yeah. Because we, we all complain about our jobs at some point or another, <laughs> right? And at the end of the day, being able to tell the people that need to hear it makes you feel better, yeah. you know, and even even if it means, you know, I disagree with you, but I'll commit to it because, again, it comes back to understanding the why behind these decisions. Yeah. If these decisions are making are, are, are being made in isolation without any consultation from, you know, someone from your 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 side of the camp. Uh, it's going to feel like a, a blind side. It's going to feel like they don't even see you as a human being. Right. Um, and I, I, I think that sense of empowerment, that sense of uh, contribution really plays a role in, in keeping you uh, motivated. Right. Right. I think that that's, I think that that's absolutely true. You know, um, at the end of the day, it's not, I, I have had this, uh, feeling myself, you know, where I was really frustrated working for a company and I really, it boiled down to the fact that like, I really don't even care if they take my suggestion and go with my suggestion, right? I really just wished that they at least heard me out and considered it, right? And then filled me in on on why they they felt like you know a different course of action was more appropriate. I wanted to know that context, you know. That's mm-hmm. me wanting that business context, and I wish somebody was there to have like told me or filled me in on it, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It, it, it's absolutely true. Um, you can also help that though. You can help that conversation. There's there. Uh, I, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate for a bit here. Uh, classic manager move, right? Um, <laughs> But there, there's a there's a sense that like if you are involving five people in every decision you make, and one of those people are always saying the same things over and over, but they're not they're they're saying the same things, but they're also not trying to 
to word it differently or make it apply to a specific case. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like the engineer that's always there about like, well, what about tech debt? Well, what about like, you know, uh, uh, what about, I don't know, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, de- it's a legacy app. It needs refactoring. Uh, there's a lot of tech debt there and they're never mm-hmm. saying anything beyond that. It loses effect very, very quickly, you know? Management starts to look at you as the one that's always talking about tech debt, but never has anything beyond that. It never has any concrete suggestions, right? And that, that's what sort of forms that opinion about, uh, about you as an engineer. They're like, they always talk about tech debt, but they never, they never really talk about specifics. And so it's like, it's like you're, you're crying wolf, but you're not actually giving anything actionable you know right right and it, or or explaining why it's Ex- important right, right like exactly even even saying that you know we've we've allowed this to accumulate here's specific you know cases of it where it's gonna bite us in the ass six months from now right, right. when we need to scale like just being able to say that one point puts it on people's radars and they can potentially include that as a priority mm-hmm. in solving because it's it very much important to the business, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm using the point of, of scaling here because we all take shortcuts to get MVP right. out the door. <laughs> we don't we don't anticipate it blowing up and serving millions of users at, at you know <laughs> the month after we deploy it. Right. But if if product is aware that you know that we're gonna get an influx of users, they're gonna prioritize scale because right. <laughs> It's better than the product going down. <laughs> right. Like that's, that's sometimes I, sometimes I've seen these scenarios where like, that's sort of what I wish uh, people would kind of look at their code and actually assess and actually present, you know, like, Hey, I know that we're, we're working on MVP, but just so you know, we're not going to be able to serve more than a hundred people concurrently mm-hmm. like this. And if we're, we're going to get to 5% rollout, but we're not going to be able to get to 10% rollout. Mm-hmm. That changes mm. conversations completely. I like I've seen I've seen directors, I've seen CTOs where when they hear that, they're like, oh, okay, prioritize fixing that right away. You know? Because there's there's a dollar amount tied to it. Yeah. Right. And you know, I, I, I hate to say it, like as as an engineer, I can harp about tech debt everywhere I go, but unless I can explain why it's important to the company how it's going to affect our our outcome right it's it's just going to be crying wolf like you said right right um now i i could be that guy who just keeps harping and then when eventually something comes down and takes the system down i'll be like i told you so right (laughs) no no one's going to be thinking about me they're going to be like yeah you said tech debt but that could mean anything right you didn't actually describe what would happen or you didn't actually describe how that goes about uh, and happens. Right. And I, I know the way that we're talking about this conversation, there's like a lot of onus on the engineer themselves to be better. I, that's not to take any responsibility off of the decision makers. Right. Mm-hmm. Part of why we're having this conversation is like, what can you specifically do about it? Well, that's, that's why we're talking about it now, you know? Right. Um, and, the, you know, this goes back to being an agent of change is hard, right? Because yeah, it, it requires you to look inward and figure out how do I express my ideas? 
Yeah. Right? In, in a way that will be receptive by everyone I need to be uh, convincing. Right. Um, there is a very much a large people component to this. Yeah, there's a huge people component. Arguably, it's the largest component, right? And mm -hmm. that's that's really where, you know, we sort of mentioned it at the beginning of, of the, the episode. You might be sitting there thinking, okay, you know what? This is the path forward. I see the path forward now. I see what I can do differently. But with everything, my experience so far at this company, maybe maybe you feel that even if you were to do that, it's not likely to change. That in and of itself is a sign of burnout, burnout from the company itself. And that's not a bad thing. That's not something to be ashamed of either, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Like you can be doing everything you can to change the culture. But if if no one else is, is right there with you, no one else is helping make that change, it's it's always going to be an uphill yeah. battle. And that's just one more stressor for you. Yeah. Like, now, that being said, learning these skills and being aware of these skills is absolutely going to help you, even if it's not at the current company. You know, that's something you can take to the next company and and just start off, you know, start off uh, uh, on the right foot, um, start off running, in fact. But come in with a hammer and say, this is how we're going to do it. <laughs> no, I don't always recommend that. But, you know, it, it gives you it gives you something for you to uh, to bring to your next company. Right. Mm -hmm. to, to really put in practice from day one and, and see if you, the trajectory changes. Um, for, for myself, this is something that I went through and and I, I saw a very, very different um trajectory myself uh so i know that it works you know i i've, I've lived it and mm -hmm. you know there, there were those moments where i i sat there thinking okay if i were to have done this all over again i would be i would do it very very differently but knowing that i think it's still time to move on mm -hmm. and i don't think that i can do it here now or i'm just simply not interested in trying to do it here now right right and there's there's certainly going to be cases where culture has been ingrained for a long time, and no matter you know what anyone does, it's probably not going to change because it's it's been normalized, right? Yeah. For for better or worse, and I think you know this this kind of ties into the next point here is is the feeling of support, you know, your managers, your peers, uh, your cross cross functional teammates. Uh, having conversations outside of just your 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 fellow engineers, right? Yeah. Getting getting the perspective of your product owners, product managers, getting perspective of your sales folks, and you know even your manager. Like they they have context that you probably don't. Right. And that's you know that's something I struggle with uh, everywhere I go is just starting kickstarting those relationships, right? Yeah, because uh, I'm I'm so focused on on just writing code that I don't I don't really reach out and say hey like what do you think of this and this and how do you feel about this change Yeah, um, and I I think there is a place for conversation those conversations to happen uh, I think they come up in in a lot of agile practices called retros right? Yeah, where that's supposed to be a place where you can air air the grievances that you think would help push the team forward, but also the company. Um, 
when that's also a place where you know your your product folks are and yeah. it it be clear uh with with what you're trying to say you know it, it boils down to communication and i we've said this <laughs> in prior episodes too right yeah like don't be vague it, yeah. being vague might be taken as a, a personal attack on on others but just be like look i i think uh you know we as engineers should be pulled earlier into the process of writing epics yeah because yeah. there's there's things that historically have not been considered that would have saved us a couple weeks in implementation right yeah that's exactly it you know um and specificity really really helps you know that's that's that part of like do your homework if you want to actually change a lot of things you have to you have to pay attention you have to write down specific instances that they they happened and that way you can point to them later and 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 like the other thing i'll say about retros in general self-improvement and uh and and self um reflection is is a cultural thing it's it's a cultural element of the company that you work for the teams that you work on and it sometimes it takes a little bit of work to to make that uh, a common thing, you know. I, I've been at I've been in work, uh, certain companies that didn't do regular retros, that didn't, um, you know, actually spend time to think about how we did things and how we could have done them better. It takes a little bit of work, and that again, that kind of goes back to the previous point. You, you sort of have to ask yourself, like, okay, they're not here yet. Do I want to invest the time to to show them that how valuable this could be, and then from there you can start to you know chip away at some of the other things that you want to improve. Yeah, it's work. It's it's extra work that I don't. I think sometimes it's extra work that goes unappreciated, right? Right. Right. Um, and and that's what makes it so hard. Uh, you know, and part of it is getting the acknowledgement that you're you're trying to push things in the right direction yeah and even if you get that acknowledgement sometimes it's not enough right you're you're looking for change and it's okay if change isn't going fast enough for you yeah um you know i want to emphasize that because i know i know several engineers who who felt guilty that they're trying so much to change culture but it's not going fast enough and they feel they, they take on the burden of guilt for that even though it's not their fault whatsoever. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, um, kind of taking this over to a management perspective, uh, something, something that you mentioned about like building support, uh, for, for one another and, and built and building in relationships so that you can learn and get the context that other people have non-engineers, non-managers, um, it's, it's really, really important. And as a manager, you can sort of set the tone for, for a lot of that. You know, you can sort of set the tone to, uh, for your team, for neighboring teams, anyone that interacts with you. Uh, they, they call it like servant leadership, right? The, the idea that despite being the leader, you're actually the one that serves everybody. That you're, pers- that you're not leading, you're not the first person to charge into battle and, and lead everybody behind you, but instead you're, you're leading from behind. The, the one question that you kind of come into every interaction with is, what can I do for you? You know, Th- being a leader and adopting sort some of those uh, philosophies 
can really lay the groundwork for how the rest of the team interacts with each other, with others in other departments in uh, non-technical, uh, cross-functional uh, contexts. Right, right. And, you know, with managerial support, I think an important aspect of that is, you know, first and foremost, listening, like actually yeah. listening, right? But two, acknowledging, well, just, I'll, I'll stop there, acknowledgement, right? Yeah. You know, you're listening, but you need to acknowledge it. And then three, do something, right? It, it could be something as simple as, uh, you know, I will talk with so-and-so yeah. about, you know, we'll, we'll pass ideas around or let's, let's schedule a meeting. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and talk about it with, uh, you know, the stakeholders or, or even coming up with some metric to measure progress for whatever might, might need to change. Right. Yeah. Just some sense of progression. Right. It's, I think progression is, is a key here Yeah. because <laughs> if, if, if you're, if, things don't feel like they're changing, being able to see the work that's going into it, regardless of actual change, can also go a long way in, in, in expressing acknowledgement to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, and to be honest, there's, there's some times where you might, uh, well, first of all, just listening. Sometimes you can ask people, your, your direct reports, hey, is, is there something you actually want me to do here? There's, there's a lot of situations where I've seen engineers, they, they simply want to know that someone's listening to whatever they just went through, you know? Mm. And sometimes it's ended with, no, you know, to be honest, like, I, I don't think I want you to go and talk to this person or, or, or bubble up this concern. I think, like, I might do that myself. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'm just frustrated by it. Listening doesn't just mean that you're always, always going to do something uh, or like act in, in a direct way. Sometimes it just means asking like, what do, what do you want me to do in this situation for you? You know, again, mm -hmm. how can I serve you in this situation? Right. And most importantly, because I think just as just general um, advice for, for managers out there, follow up, follow up. So much of your day it just happens, you know, I, I sort of like saying like behind the shadows, you know, or, or uh, in the shadows, because like you're off to meetings, you're going from one to the next, and it's rare that people get to see you. And so even if you're taking a lot of action, if you don't follow up, they can forget that they can, it, it can sort of go unnoticed, right? It works right. exactly as, as engineers feeling unnoticed for their work. You have to sort of follow up, be like, hey, remember that conversation we had? So I went and talked to blah, blah, blah. I, I, I said exactly what you, you said to me and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. That, mm -hmm. that can most, most often that can be what, what actually goes down. But at the very least, they trust you and you've maintained that trust. You maintained right. the fact that you were someone who listened, who took action and honestly, at that point, the outcome is, is not in your hands. Mm -hmm. Most people understand that, like, intuitively, you know? It's, it's like basic human interaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, you know there's, there's been an emphasis on, on talking to your manager 
there there is something to say that you could take some of this cultural aspects into your own hands right you could start sending out a survey measuring people's level of uh well where, emotional levels like where, where are they at how happy yeah. are they right and taking anonymous uh information in as part of these surveys to see what the specific pain points are because for whatever reason, maybe they're not comfortable sharing this information one-on-one with their managers. Yeah. So giving, even opening up an anonymous place for them to drop their grievances helps them feel heard, right? And with all of this information you have now, your next step would be, let's build some recommendations on on how to solve these things and pass it to the, the people above you, right? And you know, that, that goes a long way. And it, it builds a sense of leadership in yourself because you're, you're taking the problem on now, right? Yeah. Um, it is extra work and it may not be acknowledged again, but at the end of the day, you might be, this might be self-serving for you because <laughs> if, if other people are feeling happy at work, then, you yeah. know, it's, it's a more pleasant place to work for you. Yeah. Managers aren't the only ones that, that can have those conversations and that managers aren't the only ones that can, that, that can listen, right? Mm-hmm. Your peers can listen. You yourself can listen to your peers and sort of when you start to make that conscious decision to be generous with your time, to be open to hearing how your peers are doing, like you'd be so surprised how much better you can make the your your working relationships, how much more trust you can foster in your team, how much more camaraderie you can solely contribute to and build mm-hmm. up. And you know, I'll I'll say this, the best part of every single one of my jobs that I've had has been the relationships that I've I've cultivated with with folks and part of that is sort of being the person that they can talk to and bounce ideas off of, right? Uh, I may not always agree with them, and I'll let them know that. Uh, but you know, it it gives them a place where I'm not going to judge them for it. I, I know they need to talk to someone, and manager might not be the right person, but right. I'm here, and honestly, like it it, it feels good. Like it feels good to help out my teammates. Yeah, and that that really covers a lot of you know feeling one empowered two feeling like you're making a difference three giving yourself purpose yeah right that that's three huge pieces of of burnout that are are essentially mitigated right right and the best part you're not even doing it for just yourself you're actually doing that for everyone around you too right Mm -hmm. and okay it seems like burnout's not uh, an easy to solve problem but if you're doing it and your teammate sees you're doing that and then they pick up on it too and then everyone else on your team does it, four or five engineers all sort of acting in a way that combats burnout, yeah, that's going to have a real effect. That's going to have a real effect. Grassroots leadership. There you go. TLDR, be an agent of change, right? (laughs) There you go. There's a lot that you can do. Absolutely. So that's our episode for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you have any comments uh, or, or feedback that you'd like to give us, we would be more than happy to hear it. Uh, we got a new Twitter handle. We got a new Twitter handle. Yeah, go follow at underscore whip podcast on Twitter and uh, reach out to us there. Send us your comments, send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. 
have a great day. Don't forget to tip your weight staff. <laughs> <laughs>